Hello, and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we're releasing another bonus episode. This is my recent appearance on a YouTube interview with Dr. Sarah Zaldivar, which was released on July 12th, 2022. Now, this episode was really only done for YouTube, so there wasn't any audio content that lives in podcast land. So not only do we love to share any episodes that we're featured on and kind of cross-promote it that way, but we also wanted to give an audio-only version that can live here at Boundless Body. So we've also hosted Dr. Zaldivar on our show, and that was episode 311, which was done on July 26th. 7th, 2022, entitled Avoiding Plant Toxins in the Diet. I'm really proud of this interview, I have to say. It's one of her most popular videos that she's ever done, uh, which is kind of a little surprising since she interviews so many amazing people. Dr. Dr. Zaldivar was a wonderful host of the show. She was also a wonderful guest when we interviewed her and really told her story about becoming a doctor and learning about nutrition and realizing that the things that she was being taught was not necessarily the truth and how she needed to pivot her career and rather than become practicing doctor and clinic, go to teaching other students and also go to YouTube to help share this message around, which I think is super cool and very powerful. So please, if you don't mind, make sure you go check her out on YouTube, Dr. Sarah Zaldivar. Make sure you subscribe to her and leave us any comments if you have any questions or give us any feedback. And without further delay, here's my bonus episode on YouTube with Dr. Sarah Zaldivar. Hi and welcome. Thank you all for today's interview with special guest Casey Ruff. Casey, welcome. Thank you so much. Special guest. I feel honored. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I reserved it for you today. <laughs> Casey, I you so you interviewed me a few days ago and I realized by talking to you how many similar things we have, especially regarding nutrition. So I am very interested in your background. So if you can share that with me and our audience. And also how you eventually came to change your mindset regarding diet and how did you come to an animal-based approach? Yeah, of course. So I became kind of interested in health and fitness um, as, as I guess like a preteen. I was a little bit chubby growing up, although I love to play sports. Um, I, I kind of learned that, you know, through lifting weights, I could gain muscle and that made me feel better in middle school and high school. Um, I was always attracted to playing ice hockey and cycling and those kinds of things. But I went to school to study architecture. I thought I wanted to be an architect. So um, I was doing that in school, but at the time I also joined a big box gym uh, basically to train for the off season of cycling. And as I was in that big box gym, I started watching some of the personal trainers and thought like, wow, this is really fun. These guys look like they're having a really good time. They're working with people one-on-one. They're showing them the right exercises. They were also using heart rate monitors at the time, which was something that I had been using for several years. And I saw that that was a tool that they were using. So I decided this looks great. Let me see what I need to do to be a personal trainer. So I walked into the manager office. He showed me what, um, what certification to get online. And so I did that. And a few months later, I got hired on as a personal trainer with zero experience. And that was the end of architecture. I never went back to school for any of that. Um, and I got to kind of train my people. So that was, that was really fun. And that was back in 2007 when I first started. <clears throat> So back then, we didn't really have a huge focus on nutrition. Everybody knew how to kind of eat well, which was you eat lots of vegetables, you have lots of whole grains, you know, keep your proteins lean. So a lot of the trainers were eating every two to three hours, lots of salads and chicken. And that was all just fine back then. A lot of the nutrition I had been exposed to is more from like the bodybuilding world. And so lots of brown rice, lots of broccoli, again, chicken breasts and things like that. Um, and right. when <laughs> you know, classic stuff um, that we've all eaten way too much of. And, um, 
anyway, through, through my career, I eventually got trained to work on metabolic carts. And so these are the machines and equipment that basically we can hook up to people. Basically we attach a mask that's collecting their respirations and the respirations could tell us all kinds of different information about the calories they were burning. It could tell us about where the calories were coming from, whether they were burning more fat or carbohydrates. You know, most people would recognize like a VO2 max test where they know how much they can breathe at their maximum, where their heart rate zones are. Um, we could also use resting metabolic tests. So how many calories do you burn just to be yourself and sit in a chair? And so we were using that information to help give people training programs and heart rate zones. And, you know, back then we would look at metabolism exactly the way that most people see metabolism, calories in, calories out. So you come in, you do a test with me, we measure and we find out that you burn 1500 calories a day, just being you not doing anything other than sitting in a chair and you know, you have your job and that's going to burn another 400 calories. And then if you work out on top of that, that's going to burn another few hundred calories. And so most people obviously coming to us for weight loss, we would use those numbers and say, okay, you burn a total of 2300 calories a day. So let's have you eat 500 calories less every single day. So let's have you eat 1800 calories. And by the math, you know, 500 calories multiplied by seven days is 3,500, which is one pound of fat. And so we would say, okay, by the end of this week one, you should lose one pound. And by week two, you should lose two pounds. And by week three, it's your total of three pounds and so on and so forth. But it never worked that way. Like everybody we ever put through that, they would lose a lot of weight in the beginning, but then the weight loss would slow down. We would notice that our people would become a little bit more tired, a little cranky. Um, they would have less and less willpower. They'd be super motivated in January, but as the weeks wore on and the weight loss is stalling right. and now they're feeling terrible, have, you know, cravings for things, their energies in the toilet. It's way more tempting to binge on, you know, 10 donuts in the break room or whatever. And so as many people as we put through those protocols, we just noticed that things were not really working very well in the way that we, you know, were telling people they should work. And then as trainers, we would just turn around and, you know, do the Jason Fung thing, blame the victim. We're going to blame you for not following our advice. I told you to do that 500 calorie run on the treadmill and eat 500 calories less and you can't do it. Well, you suck. Like you need better willpower. You need to stick with it. This is why you've gained so much weight. Did you say the Jason Fung thing? Yeah. So Dr. Jason Fung talks about this all the time in the obesity code and he calls it blaming the victim. And it's like, oh, okay. we don't, we don't yeah, ever, I know that he, he's not blaming the victim. So we just want to let everybody, uh, yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Jason Fung's a good resource. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Good clarification. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it was, it was several years of doing that and, and not having our clients get very good results was just kind of frustrating, but it, it was what it was. We didn't know any other way. And it was in 2012, our company did a call with a contractor who's doing the same kind of testing that we were doing. And he was working with endurance athletes, which I was a cyclist. Um, so I was interested in endurance, but he, in this call, he was describing how he could change people's metabolism, especially while they exercise by changing the diet. And this is, this is mind blowing to me at the time. I had no idea you could do that and you could improve somebody's fat burning, for example, which would then make an endurance athlete be able to last much longer. Um, you have a very limited storage of sugar in the body and that runs out and most endurance athletes know that you bonk, you run out of energy all, all of a sudden. And so this guy was saying that he was feeding his athletes high fat 
things that I thought were, you know, completely off the table for what you should be eating. So heavy cream and butter and bacon. And he's describing these top level, like professional triathletes competing at the highest levels, only taking in, you know, less than 60 or 70 calories on the bike every single hour, which was complete opposite of everything that we'd been told at the time. You had to eat lots of sugar while you were biking, or again, you'd run out of energy. So that was the first time that it was ever introduced to me that nutrition could make a difference in metabolism and metabolic rate. Um, I, the next stage, I remember um, we we acquired two new trainers who started saying that eat fat to get fit. It was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Eat fat to get fit. That's not a thing. And they talked about healthy fat. Like, what the hell is health? There's no healthy fat. Like, all fat is bad, <laughs> of course. And so, right. you know, we started putting olive oil on things and had avocados every now and again, and energy was better. And so that started to kind of open up, the, like, different possibilities of how nutrition really could affect people. Um, you know, I came across Nina Teichel's book, The Big Fat Surprise, and how influential that was in my career. And, and really, all of this to say, like, what we were doing, what we were told to do was not working. If just flat wasn't working. People couldn't do it. And if they did, it didn't produce the result that we wanted it to. So everybody quit. And so we started to find this other thing that nobody was talking about and it started to work for people. And that's kind of how I got introduced into, okay, maybe fat is okay in the diet and can actually help people. Wonderful. And it's so great to hear that. And I think also you weren't, you didn't go through, um, like the whole nutrition brainwashing thing. Like, cause I feel for me, Hey, it took me like way too long, way too long to come around, you know? Um, and I kept just applying it to myself, applying it to myself and then it just would not work. And it was really, it was like, I mentioned on the podcast where you had me on, I was, I was talking about just how difficult it was for me to finally understand that everything that I was taught was wrong. So I'm so glad. I, I know it still was a process for you because you still were taught the opposite things, but at least, you know, you, you were applying it at maybe a faster rate with a lot more clients as opposed to like just on you. And you could see that that simply wasn't working for pretty much most people. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that more and more people in this field are are realizing and seeing through all the BS and all of the misinformation that we've been given. I, I don't like I mean, we can dive into why all of this is happening and I have my thoughts on it, but uh, I want to continue on with your background and um, try to see, did you apply this to yourself? Like, what was your personal experience with that? Yeah, definitely. And you you bring up such a good point when you're talking about like learning this one way. And I was fortunate enough not to have to go through the medical system in that way because you you have to undo, but you're, you're sitting there thinking like, how, how I must be wrong. That's, I, I, there's no way that... All of the, the nutrition guidelines, the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, every nutrition book I've ever read, there's no way that all of them could be wrong about this. It, it blows your mind. It's, it's so crazy. So part of, part of what we had to do with the company that we were with was we would have to do weight loss challenges. So the company started offering um, two times a year they would do, it was called the 90-day challenge. It was a three-month weight loss contest. And as personal trainers, you know, you've, you've worked as a trainer before, you know, it's, it's, you're on the grind. It's 100% commission. It's a lot of work, a lot of sales. And as trainers, we were, you know, we had numbers we were expected to hit and we had to fill people up to do these contests with us and buy our services. 
And the company figured out really quickly that if people signed up for these programs, they would make a lot of money. So it wasn't very long before they said, well, we're doing 90-day contests twice a year. Why don't we do 60-day contests and do them four times a year? And sure enough, they made a lot of money doing that. And so as trainers, we'd be responsible to sign people up, um, do a consultation with them, weigh them in the first time. We would give them you know, the company's packet of you know, 100 different recipes and exotic shopping lists with ingredients you've never heard of before and all the meal plans and preps and here's your instructions and here's all these events that you're going to do. And it just, again, the compliance on a program like that was so low. It, like we, we would calculate it and it would be like in the teens, like 15% of the people who started the contest would actually show up at the very end of the contest to weigh out. And, and all what the while it was, it was very low. It was somewhere in the teens. 15 is an estimate, but yeah, it was wow. literally okay. not very, low. very low, yeah. not more than 20%. And, and I'm talking successfully or unsuccessfully, just looking at, if I weighed you in at the start, did you even show up to weigh out at the very end, whether you lost or gained or whatever? So again, as a trainer, you're frustrated because, you know, these people aren't getting good results. They're dropping off, they're quitting early. But the other frustrating thing, just, just from a number standpoint and a business standpoint is, you know, a month later, a new contest is starting. We have to find a whole new cohort of people to do them. And if all these people weren't successful the first time, they're not going to sign up again and again and again. So it was just hard. It was hard to pitch these programs to people. And, you know, you always had another one coming and it was always going to fail. And I remember very specifically, I sat down with a guy. He was you know, an employee. He was kind of forced to do the program anyway. And I'm listening to the things that he's eating. And he's, you know, waking up in the middle of the night eating cereal. And he's on a lot of the carbohydrates and whole grains and whatever. And I'm just listening to it. And I'm thinking like, okay, wow, you have mentioned no fat. You're trying to lose like 25 pounds. So I just said, like, look, let's see if we can get a little bit more fat in your diet and, and, you know, see how this goes. And I'll never forget. It came back to me a day and a half later. He says, dude, I've, I've already lost two pounds. What, what the hell is this keto thing? (laughs) And I'm like, that's great. First of all, second of all, I've heard of it, but I really don't know enough about this. So let me find out and I'll tell you. And, and sure enough, that that's where we really deep dove into the low carbohydrate space. That was 2018. I want to say that we really got into that and started realizing like carbohydrates were not essential in the diet. This guy won the contest. And so we got recognized for that. He got recognized for that. Um, he ended up getting really close to his goal weight. So in 60 days, he lost like 25 pounds. We were using body fat scales. And so that was the other surprising thing is like, we were validating that people were losing fat. They weren't just losing weight. They were losing fat. And just so on a BIA machine, like a, like an in-body. Exactly. It was the in-body, in-body 570. Yeah. Yeah. Bioelectrical impedance. And so it can measure, you know, skeletal muscle mass or fat mass. And people weren't losing, you know, lean mass. They weren't losing water weight. They were losing a lot of fat. And so we finished that contest and like really stoked. This guy got really good results. And my wife and I were sitting around and, you know, preparing for the next one and just kind of talking like this, this sucks. Like we have to go find new people. Like, what are we going to do? We have to run this stupid program. And and we kind of have this idea, like, what if we, what if we do our own thing? What if we sign people up for this, but rather than mess with all the other things that the company was doing, why don't we find other meal plans and give them to them? And why don't we do some seminars and we can bring people in and talk to them about this in the very beginning. And then maybe have other seminars where we talk about, you know, if you're stalling, these are some things you can do and maybe some things that you can do when you weigh out. 
And so we just started running our own program and everybody who signed up with us knew that they were doing this rogue thing that nobody was talking about. We could fly under the radar. The company didn't know. And we got people really great results. We had the advantage of using that scale to measure weight and body fat percentage. And, you know, this isn't a random controlled trial, but we have data from all those people who did the contest. And it was it was like more than 60% of the people who started actually finished. So the compliance was way better. We tracked over, I want to say it was over like 160 or 180 people. And we found that of those people, the, the, the 68% or whatever it was that finished, it was like 121 people. They lost um, a combined 98% of all their weight came from fat. <clears throat> wow. It's mind blowing. I never thought you could do that. And any textbook that I have for nutrition or personal training, there's nothing that says that you can do that. And again, this isn't a randomized controlled trial, but this is a pretty large sample of people, men and women, young and old. Some people wanted to lose 200 pounds. Other people wanted to gain 10 pounds of muscle. Like it was all across the board. And we had, you know, very simple meal plans that we gave to people and really, you know, pretty low level of educational resources besides, you know, just the low carbohydrate space and people got tremendous results. And so for me, that was it. That was what I was going to do. And that was my entire career at that point. And that flipped the switch for you because you saw real results and you saw like it was the exact same kind of challenge. And the only thing that deferred was the type of food that you were recommending to your clients. Yep. Amazing. It was. It amazing. was really amazing. And um, how do you feel um, about the carnivore diet right now? Because I know we were talking the other day and you were t we were talking about the animal-based diet. Um, what has been your experience with that? Yeah, so, so um, we, we've hosted Sean Baker on our show, Dr. Sean Baker, who is amazing, obviously. And I, I, I repeat this story a lot, but I had to tell him in the interview that to this day, I, I still have not gone back to listen to the second half of the interview he did on Rogan when I turned it off. <laughs> Here's this doctor, really? here's this doctor, he's in his, you know, mid fifties, he's crushing deadlifts and only eating ribeye. I was like, okay, like I'm bought into the low carbohydrate thing, but this is insane. This is absurd. And I turned the episode off. <laughs> now, you know, I'm like a coach for his website and I posted him on the show and like, yeah, super cool dude. But I, that was my first exposure was hearing him on Joe Rogan and really kind of planted yeah. the seed. I, I wasn't ready for the full carnivore diet then, but you know, over time you start learning about it a little bit more and learning that people are actually like feeling better. Um, they, they didn't need the carbohydrates and started to feel even more satiated than before. And so it was April of 2019 where I did a 30 day carnivore experiment and I decided to go really straight. Um, I was still working at the gym at the time. Yeah. Oh, you mean on yourself? Oh, on myself. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Um, I, I decided again, I'd been low carb for a while and saw those benefits. My energy was way better than when I was eating a lot of carbohydrates. I was less hungry, but you know, again, that the, the notion of carnivore really intrigued me. And before I recommended it to other people, I wanted to try it myself. And so again, that was April of 2019 was my, my 30 day carnivore experiment. And I just, I felt way better. I, it was like almost instantly, I just had way more energy. I didn't feel like I was lacking energy before, but there was more now and there was less hunger and I could eat once or twice a day and get stuffed on food that I absolutely love. Like, I don't know, 10 eggs or, you know, a pound and a half of ribeye or ground beef. These, the foods 
that you really, I don't know, I don't know many people that can get really sick of these foods. They always are very tasty or really fulfilling, really satiating, which is very different than being filling. Like, you know, when I was eating like chicken salads, I'd get full in my stomach, but you know, two hours later, you're starving. But satiation is like this magic thing where food's off your mind. You don't, you're not thinking about food because you're not hungry. Now you're going out and enjoying life a lot more and it was great. And so day 31 of my carnivore experiment, I, I didn't stop doing anything and I just continued going down the carnivore path. And that's been my life ever since I varied up, you know, the, the level of strictness for me personally, sometimes I've been very, very strict other times less strict. And I notice that I don't feel as good when I do that. And so yeah, it's been a wonderful journey, um, not only to do it for myself, but also coach people through it over time. Um, and I will say like the most surprising thing to me that happened besides the energy was my mentality, the, the mental clarity. Um, I remember a really stressful event happening at work that cost me a, uh, you know, a few hundred dollars a pay. And in the past it would have probably ruined my day. I would have been really upset, but I just remember handling things in such a calmer way that like, my head was literally different. It wasn't metaphysical or anything like I could think more clearly and be less stressed and more grateful. And my, my spirituality improved my, my mindfulness improved, like in a way that I, I can't really describe any other way. That was the thing that really surprised me the most. Interesting. Yeah. It, it's effects on mood and mental health is huge. I feel that the exact same thing. I feel like if I have a salad, oftentimes like the next day, my mood is almost depressed not almost, it is depressed, but I mean, not, not like severe, but definitely a huge stark difference from when I, where I am normally. Um, and there is absolutely no reason for me to feel that way. And now recently, obviously I started realizing that it could have been the foods that I eaten. And now if I do ever have veggies, I know that that might be the risk that I'm taking. And so that's why I don't do it. And then the aches and pains, you know, I feel like I don't need as much recovery, even though I'm training very hard. Um, when I do eat something that is not only animal-based, any, anything other than an animal-based food, I just, I just feel very achy, very sore as if I need a full day or two days of recovery, you know? So, and I've noticed that with a lot of people sleep improves. I mean, just so, so many things, things that we never really were taught were ever related to diet. And now we're realizing how many things are very closely related to diet skin conditions. I keep mm -hmm. mentioning this just because it just happened last semester, a student of mine reversed her psoriasis. I mean, how many doctors have ever contemplated a link between diet and skin, a skin condition like psoriasis? Almost nobody, right? Totally. It's like, there's no cure for it. We're just going to give you drugs to suppress your immune system because this isn't that great. This is exactly what we need right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of that, you totally. know? No, that's a great point. I noticed... You know, with every diet, when you change a diet from one to another, you notice certain benefits. And I really noticed when people were switching mostly from like a keto low carb to carnivore, that's when all the weird things would happen. Like you probably already have lost a bit of weight. Your mentality is probably a little bit better. But when you make that switch, that's when we were hearing stories of psoriasis and eczema is gone. I don't know why. My elbow was always itchy and now it's not. Or my, my knees always ached. Or, you know, one of the first times I made the connection between the foods that we 
eat and and sunlight exposure. One of my clients told me like my legs and feet never could get tan. Now they get perfectly tan in the sun. I never use sunscreen. I can be out all day. I, I could never do that before. And you're like, wow, I had no idea that, yeah, if you're eating a bunch of crap and a bunch of seed oils and plant foods, those don't necessarily interact in your skin with the sun the way you want it to. And so it is it yeah. is amazing to hear all the stories of people out there and anxiety, depression, all these myriad of different things being improved with diet. It's crazy. You're right. It's insane. Things Who, who would have thought that things like celery or limes can have photosensitizers photosensitizers in them that are going to make you far more likely to burn when you get exposed to sunlight, you know, instead of getting a tan, you actually get burnt. Um, and it's so funny because people can go and check out like the news articles where people literally have really bad burns because they've handled lime outside for a full day and they can see the impact on skin, but then they don't think twice about putting that inside their body. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> you know, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it is. It is. And, yeah. it, and again, for most people, it's just that uphill battle of you've only been taught this one way that plants are the best things for you, that meat is to be feared. We only see the headlines that say road, red meat causes cancer without, you know, looking at the data and seeing that the data is incredibly weak and, and the headlines don't capture what the study is even saying at all. It's, it's, yeah, it's really hard for people to understand that. It's hard. And it's, and I get it. It's, it's hard to conduct nutrition research. I I understand how difficult that is. Um, but because it's difficult, we need to all be super aware just how flimsy the evidence in nutrition is. And we should not be making laws and policies relying on the lowest quality data available. Yeah, that's right. We just don't have, yeah, we just don't have a, a good, um, rigorous, um, scientific process in nutrition, you know, and yeah. the food frequency questionnaire is a nightmare. nightmare. I mean, and then the biases, like we mentioned last time, right? The researchers biases there. Everybody is already pretty much convinced that <laughs> plants are great. Veggies are wonderful for us. It's so mind blowing. Like, if you just stop for a second and think like, why would somebody, something so great for us, like veggies be so off-putting for a little baby? Shouldn't that come like, shouldn't we have, shouldn't we be born with an instinct to love something that is so great for us that is going to make us survive um, at a much higher rate? Like just thinking about that for a second should give us pause everybody and realize that that is not food. That is not human food. None of our ancestors went for that first. That was a fallback food if they ever couldn't get a good kill, if they couldn't hunt and they didn't have large fatty mammals um, that they could get their hands on. Then, yeah, they would have the veggies, they would have the tubers, whatever they could find. And that's only by trial and error. Um, they figured out which ones were the poisonous ones because as it stands, 80% of plant foods are poisonous. So we only have access to like 20% of plant foods that were not going to kill us. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. That's a know. really good point that you make there. And I think, yeah, once you step out of the paradigm, you start asking some of those questions that are just common sense. Like what, what foods could we have eaten 365 days out of the year? You know, like we're, we're vegetables and fruits just growing 365 days out of the year in every place 
on the planet? In an ice age. In right. an ice age. That's right. We had an ice age. Yeah. I, I, it's it, it takes that common sense. You mentioned the baby. Like I, I, I love the, the page from the smoker that I have, which is Traeger. And they show babies like grabbing a rib for the first time and trying a rib and they, it, it lights them up. You can tell like that's, that's the right food. That's human food that we should have. And, and it is, it is really amazing to contemplate that us as humans, we are omnivores. We can have plant foods and we can have animal foods, which is really cool. You don't see a lot of other animals that can eat such a vastly different diet, but we have learned over, you know, many thousands of years, exactly what you said, like which plants are too toxic for us to even use, or how do we prepare our foods outside of the body to, to be safer for us inside the body? I mean, most, most potatoes in South America, if you eat them naturally, they will kill you. They're highly toxic. And the native peoples learned to eat those potatoes with mud or a certain clay or whatever. And, you know, through fermentation and through, um, you know, drying and, and all these different things, we're able to detoxify. Cooking can certainly help, but but there is toxins in plants. And to think that plants are just here for our amazement and satisfaction, they're just going to give up all of their food and energy to us all the time without repercussions is absolutely not the case. Those plants are smart as hell. They are here on this planet for exactly the same reason that we are. They want to take over the world. And sometimes it might be beneficial to the plant to give you a small fruit that maybe has a bunch of seeds so that you will take the fruit and say, wow, this is kind of tasty. And then you're going to poop out, you know, what you ate plus the seeds. And now a new tree is going to grow that benefits the tree. But when you start talking about like the leaves and the stalks and the roots and the reproductive areas of the plants, those are highly fortified by the plant so that you don't eat them. Love it. Highly defended parts of the plants. Exactly. Exactly. I had a student once um, a couple of semesters ago, he told me a story about um, his grandmother in Cuba. She boiled cassavas and then the water that she used to boil the cassavas, she gave it to her pig and her pig drank that water and died. (laughs) Wow. Of all the toxins wow. that leached out. Wow. You know, just to show you like how toxic plants can be. And that makes sense. They they were here first and they the ones that are still alive and they're they have not gone extinct have been able to do so because of their self-defense mechanisms, because they were able to defend themselves against insects, animals. Yeah. And the largest animal or like maybe the smartest animal, human beings. So, yeah. Yeah. I, again, I, that's such a great point. And, there's so many of those like common sense things that we could be thinking about, like how we moved around the planet. We've taken over most of the continents, but we, we overhunt, we kill the biggest animals. And, and we always have when they had the more fat and the more muscle. And once those were gone, we had to hunt smaller and smaller animals. And, and that's the, that's why our digestive system is set up the way that it is. That's why we have a super acidic stomach. It's, it's not even, it's not even purely carnivore. It's more like scavenger type acidity so that we can eat even like rancid meat if we find it and yeah and the way our intestines are and all these things it should be a common sense thing to say that yeah we thrived on meat and animal foods for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and to say now that a plant-based diet is going to be the best thing for you like absolutely not what what are your thoughts regarding this whole you know how everything is set up right now because every time I teach a new semester, every time somebody um, brand new comes across my message, 
it's like, it's like a certain shock at first. It's like, what do you mean? Like, so the American Heart Association, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, like all these large organizations that are, that we give so much authority to, they're all wrong. You know, like what, what do you say when you're put in that position? Like how, how can we spread this message? And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, uphill battle really the way i see it it's a long road it's a long road that is such a good point and it's it's a really great question um i will say pessimistically i don't think that change is ever going to come from the top down so i I don't expect the american heart association to say like oh sorry guys really screwed that up for the last 60 years are bad. We're going to change our recommendations. And now you can believe us here. Like that's not going to happen. The, the government, you know, recommendations for dietary intake that, that that's never going to change. And that's, that's unfortunate. And I think that we're, we're going to go down a path that's going to lead to a lot more unhealth before we start to fix it. But the cool thing is we do have impact with, you know, platforms like this, you, yeah. you specifically chose not only to teach people, but also, you know, have a great YouTube channel, build a following so that people can get this message out there for free. It's the same reason why we do our podcast. We want to get the message out there. So I think, I think the education, um, um, and making it available for people can be really, really helpful. I would say in my career, the best thing I could do to help somebody understand what's really going on is to show them the example of what they've tried in the past. Okay, so you're sitting in front of me now. You've tried to lose weight uh, six times, ten times. Well, what did you do? Okay, well, I joined the gym in January. Um, I started running on the treadmill and I started eating kale salads. Great. How did that go? Oh, it went awesome. I lost a bunch of weight. Great. What was it like at the end of the week? Well, the end of the week, I was a little bit more tired. Okay, what happened as the weeks would go on? Well, I would get more and more tired and more hungry and I couldn't stick with the diet because I didn't have enough willpower and so I'm going to start this again. And it's like, okay, if you've done that before, probably multiple times, then you know what you're doing is creating weight gain. Like you are setting yourself up for the perfect program to make yourself be 15 or 20 pounds higher after this experiment fails. And I can predict it. And, and if you do the same thing that you've done, you're going to get the same results and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so I think that's the best thing that we could do is really like point out how this has gone in the past for other people and show them like, okay, if that worked, it would have worked. And I'm telling you, like of the last hundred people that I've sat in front of, it didn't work for all hundred of them either. You're not alone. You're just getting really bad information. So let's show you a different way to do this. And I think once people understand and appreciate that, they're a little bit more willing to consider, you know, something that's a little bit more unconventional because the conventional advice has failed them. Yeah. Doing the same thing over and over again is the definition of insanity. That's right. Isn't that what I said? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What's the point of doing something you've already done and failed at unless you've learned a lesson there? You have to learn a lesson there. And if you don't and you're just repeating it just for the sake of repeating it, then you're probably going to get the same result that you got last time around. Yeah, that's right. And and with with what we were doing back at the gym when we were working there, when we had those metabolic carts, this was another way that we could validate that. Like if I if you come up to do a test with me and it's July and you're wearing a jacket and you're a female and you're 35 and I can tell you're cold, you probably already have Hashimoto's or some other autoimmune disease and 
I, I can tell you right now, you're probably carrying a little bit too much weight in the midsection. It might be lean in the arms and legs, but the body is holding on to visceral fat to protect the organs and keep them warm because I, I'm going to put you on this machine and I guarantee your metabolic rate is going to be far lower than what it is supposed to be. And, and we saw it over and over and over. If you do a diet, if you calorie restrict and you burn a bunch of calories, you're going to crash your metabolic rate. And it was confirmed with that study that they did. I want to say it was released in 2016 with all the biggest loser contestants where they really did measure their metabolic rates. They followed them for six years. Most people had gained, had gained a very high percentage of their weight back, but their metabolic rates was still suppressed by like 600 calories on average. Like that that's what you're doing when you're following that advice, when you're calorie counting and trying to burn a bunch of calories, you're telling your body that it is famine time. It is not a time to burn off energy. It's a time to hoard energy and hold on to, to any energy that you can. You're literally going to slow down. Your energy is going to suck. Your cravings are going to go through the roof as a reward system to find those calorie bombs when you get them. And you're going to want to hold on to all of them. It sucks. It's uh, a totally the, the perfect way to gain weight. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you feel drained on a certain dietary lifestyle that's supposed to make you healthier, that's not the right approach. You're supposed to get healthier. As you drop body fat, you're supposed to have more energy, not less, right? You have to have more strength, more vitality, um, better mood, better skin. So if those things aren't improving, then whatever you're doing is simply not working. Yeah, totally agree. And all of that to say is like, it's not that it's not that it, it, you know, the calorie balancing doesn't matter. It does matter. It's just, we're looking at it the wrong way. Why don't we teach people what it takes to make their metabolic rate go up, access the energy you have, burn off the extra energy, send signals to your body that says we have so many nutrients. We have all the protein and fat that we need. We're getting all the minerals that we need. We now have all this excess fat that we stored for just this reason. Like let's use it. Let's burn this off. That's why it's there. And people can get rid of it and have tremendous results without ever really feeling hungry or drained, like you said, it now you're just burning more calories that you, you couldn't eat that many calories if you tried because the body is now adapted to that. And it's burning off the fat that you have already stored by following the wrong advice to begin with. So different. Exactly. Exactly. When you eat carbohydrates, your body forgets how to access fat as its main energy source, which is our natural um, state of being. I mean, babies are born on a fat-based metabolism. We, throughout evolution, spent most of our time in that fat-based metabolism or ketosis, right? The moment you start introducing carbohydrates, and it really doesn't take a lot, the moment you start introducing that, your body over time forgets how to access your fat stores. And so now it is completely dependent and relying on a sugar and carbohydrate hit every three hours, two to three hours. And so every time you eat carbs, you feel like, okay, you're getting some energy, but then that spikes your insulin. And then you have a drop afterwards. And that is a strong, that drop in the um, blood sugar level that happens two to three hours after a carbohydrate containing meal is a very strong stimulus for cravings and hunger. And so now three hours later, you're like, you can't think about anything else. You can't focus. And that's how I used to be because I grew up eating a very high carbohydrate diet food that was prescribed by my dietitian at 14 years old when I was 14. So I could not, like the moment it hits me, I needed to eat like right then and there. I couldn't do anything else. You know, it was like this strong, almost a hypoglycemic attack um, and and hypotension at the same time. Like it, it just felt like super 
like down, you know? And the only thing I could think of is a quick source of energy and that meant carbohydrates, more carbs. And the cycle continues and continues all day long. So the problem is that your the reason you you're so dependent on carbs is because your body can only store around 2000 calories worth of carbohydrates in the form of glycogen in your liver and in your muscles at any point in time. You could manipulate that a little bit with carbohydrate loading, which is what a lot of endurance athletes would do, right? To kind of like eat tons and tons of carbs before a long-term event, and they can bump that up a little bit, but not recommended. Check out what happens to Timothy Noakes. He was a professor who did all the right things, followed the all the guidelines, and then um, was an endurance athlete, triathlon, I think even, um, and he ended up with type 2 diabetes. So, you know, we do not want to end up with type 2 diabetes just to be able to win a race. So... What you can do instead of relying on those 2000 calories of stored glycogen is you want to take away the carbohydrates and let the body access your fat stores. Why? Because even if you are lean, even if you're, you don't have any excess body fat, a lean individual has around anywhere, depending on the estimates, anywhere between 40,000 to 70,000 calories stored in your body. And you're just lean. Imagine if you're overweight or you're obese, how many more thousands of calories you have. And this is why when you become fat adapted and you remove the carbs and your body learns that it has all the stored energy it can access, you don't feel those drops in energy. You can go on and on and on. You can do full day fast. Some people do multiple day fasts, you know, but that that is easy and doable only after you take away the carbs and you allow the body to adapt at least a few weeks to adapt to that fat-based metabolism. 100%, 100%. So when we were doing these metabolic tests for people, we were showing them, you know, okay, if you're between this heart rate and this heart rate, you're burning, say, 12 calories a minute, and eight of these calories are coming from fat. And if you go heart rate higher, now you're burning more calories, but you're actually burning less fat as fuel. And that was nice for people to see, like, okay, I can work out easier and actually burn more fat, literally. And on the next page, there was another graph, and it had exactly what you were describing. So it showed a person, showed the energy available to them, carbohydrates, 2,000. If it were a female, it would say 1,500, but somewhere in that ballpark, okay? You can store a little bit of carbohydrate, but that's limited and finite, and yes, you can carbo-load, but frankly, like most of the carbo-loading you do is going to overshoot that number anyway. You're just going to store all those calories as fat, you know? And then, right. and then yeah. that, that same chart would have exactly what you were describing, which is how many calories of fat do you store? And this is now based on the input that we created. That's your weight and your body fat percentage. The number of jaws dropping when people realize they had 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 calories of fat stored on their body. And it's like, I would, I would kind of equate it to like, imagine you see a tanker full of gas. It's got unleaded gas that's driving down the street, but the, the tanker itself, the diesel engine ran out of gas. And so the, the, and the, the, you know, the tanker can't go anywhere anymore. And it's like, that's kind of what we do. We're full of energy. We're getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger with fat and nobody likes it. You want it gone. You want to be lean and you don't like it and it jiggles. It's it's just like the tanker running out of gas. You're not, you, if, if that engine could burn both fuels, you'd have so much fuel. It would be really easy yeah. and you'd be fine. But that's exactly, exactly what you were describing is the problem. And, and unfortunately it wasn't just your life and it wasn't just my life. You just described that up and down roller coaster is everybody's life out there. 
That yeah. is a normal Tuesday <laughs> that, and for 40 years yeah. and, and, you know, walk around, go look around and see how we're doing as a culture. We're not doing that great. Like you see those pictures of the beach in the seventies and nobody is fat. Nobody is overweight. Yeah. And now it's, it's harder. Like you mentioned walking around Disneyland. I'm willing to bet you saw probably you could oh. count on one hand, the number of people who were like reasonably fit. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it's painful to go to Orlando and go through the parks and uh, everybody's obese. It's like, like the, the morbid obesity, not just like the regular yeah. obesity, yeah. you know? And then, so we moved from Miami to Ocala a year ago. And, and so Miami's obesity rates are still a little bit less than the overall. But when you move up, uh, upstate in Florida, you start to see more of like what the United States uh, obesity epidemic really looks like. So here it's just mind blowing. You know, you go to the grocery store, there's not a day that you leave the house that you don't see just the the sheer amount of severe obesity everywhere. And like young people or middle-aged people who should be at the prime of their lives, they can't go to a grocery store without having to sit in the disabled yeah. chair. And then you look in their cart and they're just buying more junk. And I'm like, it's terrible. But, but the link, don't you do, I mean, don't you make that link? Well, the you cereal know, box it. said it was heart healthy. Huh? The cereal box said heart healthy. I chose that food because it told me it was the healthiest. And I've got my skim milk and my vegetables <laughs> wrapped in plastic, placed in more plastic bags. And like, I, I'm, you know, my juice, here's my, lovely juice it's got vitamin c vitamin c is so good for me and all the colors right oh. we love the colors oh, yeah absolutely like i i hardly ever <laughs> walked in those places in the grocery store but even just last week like going to the meat section you walk by all these things and it's not only the smell you can smell all these foods but it's a little overwhelming this like rainbow of colors screaming at you telling you how good they are for you and I yeah. would I would argue that these are even the foods that like if you took any of these home and, and made yourself, that would at least be a step up from like eating out all your meals, which I see so much now anyway, like people are door dashing all their food. And it's it, it is yeah. absolutely tragic to see all these people in, in such poor health and knowing that none of that has to be the case. Or yeah. the really good news that you can change. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum. You may have caused some damage that you're going to live with for the rest of your life, but you can you can still change. It's all about yeah. changing that paradigm and changing the conversation and realizing that you have been bamboozled. You have been told an awful lie that makes a lot of people a lot of money. If I'm exactly, if I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, I want you to be using my product at 20 and then I want to keep you alive until you're 90. And that's what we're good at. We can do that now. And so I now have somebody who's using my product for 70 years, getting fat and sick, and we can keep them alive. They don't die. It's it's crazy. It's really, really tragic. And then they get another side effect from that pill. And so now you have additional pills, and then you end up with a whole pharmacy. Um, it's It's heartbreaking. It is. And I know it's hard. I know it's very hard to take that first step because I know firsthand how addictive foods can be yeah. and how much of an effect it can have. It literally hijacks your brain. That's why I created a YouTube video. It's a very short one. I'll make sure to link it actually. Um, and it's called how to pull yourself out of uh, sugar and food addiction. Um, and I give them a plan of how to do a dirty keto first, because the problem is that when you're eating all the crap and the junk, 
not only do you have the addictive problem, which is all the dopamine um, destruction, because it destroys the dopamine receptors in your brain, but you also have that carbohydrate addiction. So now when we want to remove those, we have two things we're working with that are a little bit difficult to detox from the body. It is the carbohydrate withdrawal, and then it is the dopamine withdrawal. Mm. So what I do is that, okay, let's tackle one thing first. Let's just tackle the carbohydrates first. Let's do keto, but let's do the fun keto. You can have the keto pizza, keto ice cream. I mean, all the junk keto foods you can have. And it works like a charm every time because it almost requires no discipline or willpower. You know, it just requires a teeny tiny little bit of an initiative. The moment you do that, you feel so great about the fact that you are now not relying on carbohydrates for a few days. And so now you are more motivated and you you want to now take it a step further. And so that is when we go and we clean up the diet more and we remove all the processed junky keto foods and we focus on real whole foods that are not addictive, like meat, salmon, bacon, even cheeses, eggs, things like that. Um, and that's that's really the only sure way for people to be able to stick to these diets. You cannot be eating foods that are so addictive, designed to get you hooked on them every single day and expect for you to resist them 24-7 every single day. You have to eliminate them. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't have a piece of cake ever in your life or whatever it is that you like, but just in small amounts and try to find versions of it that are not as addictive. So instead of regular ice cream, do the higher protein ice creams, you know, that aren't as delicious and like, you know, dopamine bursting in your brain as a regular one. Like try to find ways, similarly to how when you have a cup of coffee, you know, after every high from the cup of coffee, there's a low. After every high from an addictive food, there's a low. So make sure your lows aren't very low and you can control that by making sure your high isn't very high. Yeah. And when you're eating foods that are not addictive, a tiny little change. If you want to have a little bit of fun, tastes incredible, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So what you yeah. just described, I will say a hundred percent in my experience working with people, that is exactly mm. the right path you want to go down. I love that. Let's get sugar out. Let's give you the keto treats and bombs and whatever you want to get. That's totally fine. Let's get started on that. You're going to see really good results over time. We're probably going to need to cut those out for sure. But I agree with you a hundred percent. If we can at least replace something with that's like a little bit palatable and I, I don't know. I'm sure you'll agree with this. If, if we can eliminate hunger, if I can just show you for once in your goddamn life, like what it's like to not be so hungry all the time and give you permission to fill up on foods like omelets or steaks and really like get fully satiated. Like what a, what a blessing for people to, to not have to be on that roller coaster anymore and to not be tied into food. So I love that approach. And I think that is the very best way to tackle that for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with experience, I'm sure we both come uh, eventually to the same conclusion. Like a lot of people can't just do cold turkey, you know, it's just, you're setting them up for failure. Um, now for those who can, great. They already know themselves and they probably don't need us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. Right. So, but the, the others, um, I include myself, I don't do very well with cold turkey cause I, I tried it and I, I 
it's hard for me to pull myself. Uh, my brain gets very, very much affected by addictive foods and mm. I have to be very careful with the, with those things. Yeah. I kind of think the same thing on that note, like fasting, like if you're fasting, but yeah. you're eating the standard American diet, good luck. Like you're going to white knuckle throttle that you're going to be absolutely miserable. But but if you change the diet, now you can fast without really thinking about it. You didn't, it's not a fast. You're just not hungry. And if you're not hungry, you're not eating, and you find you eat one or two meals a day, like you're you're doing fasting without even thinking about it. But trying it the other way is almost impossible. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Agreed. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, Casey, um, share with us a little bit more about what you're working on right now and um, what is next for you. Oh, that's, um, that's a really great question. So we started our company during the pandemic when, uh, the gym, um, put us on unemployment. Um, we kind of didn't know what we were going to do, if we were going to go back or not. Um, financially, again, with, with personal training being a hundred percent commission, we needed a good base to go back. And we had all the people that we'd been training before. Um, but a lot of them at the time weren't really going to go back. They were working from home and they kind of enjoyed working from home. They didn't need to drive to the business park where the gym was located anymore. And they found like, well, you know, I dusted off my health rider and a few weights and, you know, the thigh master or whatever. And like, I prefer working out at home. And so when we started our company, it was really just to continue working with our people, but just in a different way, sessions outside or in people's homes, um, using minimal equipment. So lots of TRX and, you know, kettlebell bells and things like that. And so our company was born during the pandemic really to, um, you know, continue working with the people that we had and anybody who wants to do personal training and nutrition coaching with us. Um, but we're not, we're not in the mindset of like exponential growth. We're not trying to make this some kind of empire. We're, we're really quite content helping people where we can, especially in our little neighborhood here, just outside of, um, um, South Jordan and, and, and Utah. And, um, yeah, so so it's been it's been fun to kind of understand that like we're not on the grind as much and now we have a lot more time. And so now we have the podcast. And I started a second podcast and we can put more content out there. And so I guess I guess what's next for me was kind of understanding and learning like now that we've done like 300 episodes of the podcast, that that's a a lot of content. And so I've been thinking, like, I wonder if I can create a course using, you know, the curated version of some of these conversations and taking like, you know, a 10 or 15 minute chunk of your episode that goes in depth onto some of these things and putting that out in a course that somebody could really learn this stuff in a way that they didn't have to listen to all 300 episodes of our show. Um, and we could teach them about nutrition and exercise and proper strength training, how you really need to challenge muscle tissue. A lot of people think you need to be, you know, doing hopping around at high intervals and, you know, really weird, stressful exercise. And yeah, nah, you don't need any of that. <laughs> you need to lift oh. heavy. <laughs> you need to lift heavy and stick with basics and all those things. So if we do something down the line, I, I would love to do some kind of content that we could present to people at a very low cost that could be really high benefit using the resources that we already have in these conversations. Um, so that may be coming down the pipeline, but for now we're going to continue with the podcast. We're going to continue working with our people. Anybody can go onto our website. They can book a free 30 minute consultation. We can talk about anything. And do you want to talk about, you know, a race that you're training for or strength training or, you know, even things like stress and sleep, like we can address all of those things. And so, yeah, we're just, we're really happy with the way things are going with the business and we're really just kind of maintaining for now, which is great. And, and yeah, using the, the 
your, the free time to help other people in, in, in ways that they can easily access is a big priority for us. I love it. Um, thank you so much, Casey. I'm so glad that I got to learn more about everything that you're doing and that we got to connect. Um, where can people find you? And so that I make sure that I place all those links in the description box below. Yeah, sure. And thank you so very much for the honor to be on your show. I, I don't do a ton of YouTube, but I've, I've subscribed to your channel and I watch your interviews and you do a great job interviewing. I love your guests and the content that you're putting out there is really helpful and inspiring. Um, people can go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. Um, that's really the hub where they can find everything. They can find us on social media. They'll find the podcast there. Um, I used to do a lot more blogs, but I realized I like doing writing a lot more before I started doing podcasting. You know, I like podcasting a lot more and so writing a lot less. Uh, but we might start up like a, a monthly newsletter or something. But either way, people can find us and access us there. And like I said, anybody can go on and sign up for a free 30-minute consultation. We can also do what is called a functional movement screening with people, which mm -hmm. is a movement assessment. Um, if we do it remotely over Zoom, we just have to be a little bit creative. But we can identify different movement patterns, even on Zoom, and be able to give you some ideas of how you can structure your workout so you can stay healthy and fit and, and you know not injured for the the rest of your life. So those are all resources available, but the best place to go is our website, myboundlessbody.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you for everyone for sticking with us till the end. I hope you enjoyed this kind of content. If you did, make sure you give this video a thumbs up, subscribe, and hit that little notification bell icon so YouTube alerts you every time I post a new video. Thank you all for watching, and I will see you in the next one. So thank you again so very much for listening to this bonus episode of my recent appearance on an interview with Dr. Sarah Zaldivar on YouTube. As we said in the introduction, make sure you go to YouTube, find Dr. Sarah Zaldivar, make sure you subscribe to her channel and leave any questions or comments on the video if you have any. We always love to hear your feedback and we really don't think that following her will be something you will regret. She puts out a lot of really, really great and very dynamic content. Uh, also be sure to go check out the episode that we did with her, uh, as we said, introduction as well. That was episode 311 titled Avoiding Plant Toxins in the Diet. Um, be on the lookout, you guys. I am super, super excited for a special project that I've been working on. We are going to have some really cool content coming out very soon. I'm very proud of the way this is coming together and we should have that ready to release very soon. So be on the lookout for that. I'll continue to tease it as it gets closer and closer. And as always, the best way to support this show is to leave us a rating or review. If you have been enjoying our content, um, if you have enjoyed our message, please take a second, go over to Apple, leave us a five-star rating or review. It's really a great way for us to grow and get this message out to other people without us putting ads in our show, which I am very much against. As always, thank you so much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.